This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. We're back in the virtual studio. And just like last week, we have an epic CMO in our midst today. I want to tell you a little bit about Amanda Elam. Amanda serves as the CMO for this really, really fast-growing company called Bloomreach. If you don't know, Google them, Bloomreach. She's leading their overall marketing strategy to drive further business demand and brand awareness. She has deep expertise in marketing, over 15 years experience helping and growing high-performance marketing teams, building brands, communicating real value. I mean, she is, she's previously served as the company's senior vice president of global marketing marketing. She's been there almost four years now. Prior to joining, she was a VP of demand gen at BlueShift, a customer data platform. Before that, she served as vice president of marketing at Americas and Global Programs at Bassware, a financial software company. Just a lot of experience. This person knows a lot about a lot. I'm going to shut up. Amanda, welcome to Marketing Trends. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I mean, anytime I'm having a bad day, I'm calling you to hype me up. <laughs> Indeed. Look, we 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 are super excited to chat with you. Bloomreach has been a brand on our radar for marketing trends for a long time. We had your CEO on another show almost two years ago. And when we spoke to your amazing CEO, I was like, uh, we got to get their CMO on ASAP. So we've been waiting for this opportunity. Super excited to have you. For those who don't know about Bloomreach, Amanda, can you share like, what is Bloomreach? What do you do in there as CMO? Give us the deets. Sure. So Bloomreach is a company that helps people, companies who are selling things online, uh, actually engage with their consumers. So we help you do all the marketing. When they come to your website and they're looking for something, we make sure that search is highly relevant and we give you all the backend tools to do, to do the merchandising and content management that you need in order to create those great experiences. Okay. Now, there's been a lot of transformations that you and the Bloomreach squad have been through. Take us through some of the really interesting ones. I know we talked about CMS transformation and SAS transformation, things like that. But talk us through some of these transformations you've been through with that epic organization. So Bloomreach, I actually joined through an acquisition. The company was called Exponia, and that was the marketing automation sign. And so I was the CMO there. We got acquired into Bloomreach, and uh, they had a product discovery or enterprise search product and then a content management system as well. And they added the marketing automation technology into that portfolio. And um, 
it probably was a marketer's nightmare <laughs> because we had two totally different personas. Bloom Reach went after enterprise companies in the e-commerce space and Exponia went after more of the mid-market marketers. So not really the e-commerce professionals, but the marketers and, and mid-market. So very different personas, different market segments. And the goal from Raj, our CEO, was to launch a new brand, which we called this collective really big story about the customer experience across all touch points that includes everything that they connect with online and launch that within six weeks of the acquisition and make sure that it makes sense to everybody. <laughs> so that was some of the transition of that. And I think as it, as many founders, uh, his vision was much bigger than a lot of people really could at the time understand. But um, it, it ended up being a great thing because getting to spend that time with him and hear his thinking and hear his vision and hear how he really views the the connectedness of the customer journey online was amazing. Obviously, now it is the foundation of the collection of Boomreach technology. Mm, yep. So we're talking about Raj, the CEO, Raj Dadada. Is that pronounced right? Dadada. Yeah, Raj came on. Okay, okay, good. So we're safe. So speaking about Raj, shout out to Raj. Incredible visionary human. You're right. I mean, it was clear when he came on Business X Factors almost two years ago. I was like, I'm standing, I'm sitting across the table from a bright, brilliant man who's going way further than he is right now. It was such a cool story. So I'll remember that one. Um, and now, Amanda, we're in the middle of another transformation that revolves around AI. You can't yeah. look left, right. You can't go anywhere without seeing, reading, experiencing something around an AI. What are you seeing right now with AI and its role in marketing and business kind of as a whole from your perspective? I mean, AI has been central to there is super innovative products that are creating scale and speed and that are helping that have been the marketing helpers or the marketing assistants for a very long time. I think what we've seen just dramatically transform is with OpenAI and what Sam Altman and team did there is they just they brought an entirely new level of scale. So in changing and introducing us to things like vector-based AI and large language models and all of those new developments, it's all of a sudden AI can crunch an even more incredible amount of data. It's even more intelligent. It's even it's even more relational to a certain extent. And so I think what, particularly for marketing, what we've seen is a lot of those things that felt like they were never going to be able to be scaled, like writing copy or coming up with creative subject lines or social media content, that that was always going to be human. Now we're realizing it isn't. And so um, a lot of marketing teams are strapped on resources. And so I think if anything, we're getting help to be better, to be able to actually deliver personalization. So that it's now it's not just a form fill or a field that you're tagging in an email, but I genuinely can begin to write an individual email for every single person. I can engage in a conversation, two-way conversation that is genuinely specific to the person I'm having that conversation with. That is some of what AI is gonna help companies do at scale. I love it. Can you give an example of just like what it's done for just velocity and just moving fast with your team or projects or an example of a project or something recent that, you know, with the power of AI has just been maybe a year ago would have not been possible, but because of it is really fast. Any examples? Yeah, absolutely. So when we're doing some brand preference testing, for example, we use a tool called Jasper.ai. So we put mm -hmm. in a concept oh, or we put in a set of text that we want to create some conversion ads for, and we'll say, give me 50 conversion ads. It'll spit it out in 30 seconds. 
I throw it into a, another tool I use called Upside. Well, I, our, our team does. I shouldn't say I do. That makes it sound like I'm doing the work, which no one allows me to do anymore. Um, <laughs> but we throw it into a tool called Upside, and then uh, we're able to run those tests in a panel environment and get and get data back. And that that happens within an hour. You know, it doesn't, it, it no longer takes like, okay, let's get everybody on a Zoom call and let's go through the paragraph text and let's get feedback and have everybody, you know, come up with ideas on a whiteboard and then select which ones are going to work. It just immediately gives us this scale and speed that we've never, uh, we've never experienced before. Wow. I think, look, for, for like demand gen stuff, I know for me, like leading some of our demand gen efforts internally, and like we don't have a big marketing team. We've got a small, scrappy team of folks that often do multiple things. Right. With, with ChatGPT and some other tools, like I can spin out, just like you described, entire campaigns, entire strategies. I mean, I'm using it. I literally, when I open up my, my daily email, calendar chat GPT. That's a daily open for me. And I'm using it all the time. Yeah. Even like before this interview, a couple of weeks ago, when we knew we were going to have you, I'm pasting your LinkedIn profile in chat GPT and saying, give me some questions for Amanda. And some of those we're asking literally right now. So yeah. the utility for marketers and like, it's just incredible. I'm like, man, we don't even need that. We were going to hire three people, writer, you know, um, email automate. We're going to do like, we don't need that. We really genuinely yeah. don't. And so it's the velocity is wild. Um, and we're seeing that in our industry too. It's got a lot of positive benefits, but it also will make differentiation more difficult because this is mm. where AI isn't going to help you. It's not going to create, if you're Lowe's at Home Depot and you say, give me a campaign for building a shed, it's going to answer Lowe's and Home Depot in exactly the same way. And so that's where differentiation is really going to come down to the human level. So how do I speak differently? How do I build those brand tones, those voice guidelines? How do I make sure that the way that I want to be represented is unique to me? And that's where AI can start, but then you still need to take it and really shape it into something that's differentiated. I agree. The nuance is going to be necessary. It'll add a lot of velocity, I think, to a lot of people's like tool belt, but you're right. Got to be able to use it. I mean, look, if you give me a, you know, a scalpel and tell me to go do brain surgery, I'm not going to be able to do it, right? I, it's a tool. I, I should be able to do it, but I can't. I don't know how to do it. So it's going to require that, that nuance. And I think you're right. That's going to make, that's going to separate people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. You've said on this note, you've said that if companies aren't building from a foundational level with AI, that they will be left in the dust. I agree. Why do you think that and where are you seeing success when it comes to AI additionally? Yeah, I mean, we've seen huge leaps in transformation and technology. So I started my career in the very early 2000s and we saw the transformation with Google and what it actually looked like to to surf on the internet. And it no longer became surfing, but shopping and e-commerce. And, and then we saw the software as a service industry completely come out of nowhere. It was a bunch of on-prem software. You got a floppy disk that you put onto your computer and you installed it. It had the little rare, rare, rare that like dial up to connect and the advent of the internet. So we've just seen like continual evolution of technology and this is the next evolution. So much in the same way, the companies that were not willing to believe that software as a service was going to become mainstream or that it was never going to be secure enough. And so therefore they didn't really make inroads to transform their businesses into a SaaS business. The companies that are saying, this is just going to be a blip in the night. This is not really going to make a big difference. I don't need to change anything about my business model. Those are the companies that are that are going to be left behind. Specifically, Bloom Re uh, recently integrated OpenAI, right? What does that integration open up for your customers? Yeah, so the product that's live now is uh, to help you write emails, subject line messages, 
for your SMS campaigns, your offer copy. So it's really around the copy generation. But there's a lot of other innovations in uh, in our products that will be available very soon. Like um, we do SEO optimization on your product pages, so we can automate a lot of that. Um, product descriptions, updates to your catalog. We have other innovations like semantic search. So we already have a contextual based understanding. If you type in wide leg black pants, we know that wide leg is a description, black is a color and pant is a product. And so we can take those search terms and build some associations. But if you think about how we could really, really expand that and you say, I'm looking for wide leg black pants and then we're able to converse in a conversation, say, do you have a special event that's coming up? How can we actually help you find the style and color that you're looking for? Do you like spandex? And everybody's like, no, not unless it's little lemon. <laughs> so <laughs> we can uh, facilitate that conversation as well. Uh, but those are mm. some product enhancements that are coming soon. But available today is uh, all of the copy tools that can help you okay. be more scaled. Huge. Okay, you've been you've also been described as like a data data driven marketing leader. Um, what does that mean like to you? How do you look at data through a marketing perspective as a CMO of this crazy rocket ship called Bloomreach? I think a lot of marketers. I hope a lot of marketers describe themselves as as data driven. And so I, I think the the difference that I would say is a deep understanding of the business metrics. So not just the marketing metrics, but how are we performing as a business? What does our NRR and, and GRR look like? What are our uptime metrics? What are our SLA commitments to our customers? What are our conversion rates inside of our sales stage? What does our share of wallet look like at the customer level? So it's it's a very deep understanding of the business metrics. And then all of the areas of impact that we have across those business metrics and ensuring that when we're building out a marketing plan, that nobody is given an activity-based KPI, but that they're given a metric and they understand what they're actually improving or impacting and why. Uh, so I, I think it's less about just looking at and understanding and operating, understanding of the numbers and the strategy to change them or influence them. Wow. Okay. You said some awesome things there. I made two, two I want to go to each of them. So you mentioned a bunch of metrics and and my, my follow-up was like, what metrics actually matter and what do you consider to be like the vanity metrics? So you listed a bunch of metrics, but I want you to just think about, yeah, which one's a priority for you if you wanna just go through those one more time. And then you said something about uh, activity-based KPIs and not assigning those. And I wanna unpack why that is and and more. So first question, what metrics actually matter to you or and what do you consider to be vanity metrics? The metrics that matter the most to, to Bloomreach are NRR, net retention rate. So how much are we growing with our customers? And because we are a usage-based software company, we only grow if our customers grow. So NRR is a fantastic indicator that we are helping our customers drive more traffic and close and convert more revenue on their sites. And that that is an indicator. So NRR is important to us because it means that our customers are growing. So that's number one. Make sure that we are making our customers successful. The second metric is ARR, which is a determiner of our own growth. So our, that's annual recurring revenue. How much revenue are we generating and are we growing? Are we providing value back to our shareholders and to our employees? So customers and then um, internally, are we growing across the board? Those are the most important metrics. From a marketing perspective, the way that we influence and impact that, we drive product adoption campaigns on the NRR side. So we're educating, we're connecting with, we're making sure that our customers understand how to use our products. So that product adoption that becomes the marketing KPI. And on the ARR side, it's pipeline. So you can't get ARR unless you're creating pipeline. And so those are the 
big metrics that we look at. Uh, we have a marketing KPI sheet. Every single person in marketing has an individual KPI that I look at every week. So there are 87 KPIs. <laughs> I won't go into all those. We'll have to have wow. a, a whole series of podcasts, okay. but okay. there are obviously a lot of smaller metrics that, that okay. roll up into those, but those are the, those are the big ones. You also mentioned something about not assigning activity-based KPIs. Yeah. Talk about why that is and what the, yeah, more, no one's ever said that. Also, as an aside, we've never talked about NRR on the show. Like no one's brought that up as like oh. a metric. And well. I've been I've been hosting this show for almost three years. So shout out to you on that. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, but talk about that because you said you don't assign activity-based KPIs. Yeah, so if it's something like um, we need to get 10 PowerPoints, out this order like that, that just doesn't matter because the reality is those 10 powerpoints let's say that what it's supposed to be impacting is sales effectiveness and so we're, we want sales effectiveness to be impacted because we want our conversion to increase which means we become better at selling which means that we get more deals out of the deals that we're creating so arr increases so i'm going to tell somebody to get 10 powerpoints done but the reality is i want more arr and so by giving that person a kpi of i want 10 powerpoints done i disconnect them from the business impact if I tell that person, I don't care how many PowerPoints you create, I want more ARR. I don't care if they create one or a hundred. I just want more ARR. And so if I get to the point where I'm so prescriptive in how we deliver the business impact that I'm giving them an activity metric, basically I'm doing the thinking for them and it may or may mm. not work. Um, and I'd way rather them ditch a strategy midstream than just continue to develop PowerPoint because it's their KPI. How do you help them like understand and focus on those right metrics? It's really hard. We talk about them a lot. And sometimes I'll get feedback in the barometer that we talk about. Number barometers are internal uh, measurement of employee satisfaction. Okay. I will get feedback that I talk about numbers too much. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it is really, really hard. This is not a like, hey, put the metrics out there and everybody's excited about it and they all get it. We talk about, we define NRR a lot. We define ARR a lot. We we give the company metrics. We had a conversation today about our stock options plan and going into detail on how to think about it. You're an owner in the business. So there's as much education about what it means to be part of a SaaS company and what those metrics are and how you're influencing them as it is like, hey, here's the job we need you to do. Hmm. How can being like too focused on metrics actually be detrimental in some areas? Yeah, so it definitely creates scoped thinking, if I can word it that way, mm, because you can mm -hmm. say like, this is my KPI. This is the one thing I need to worry about or one thing I need to move. But again, if we look at, let's take ARR and NRR in competition with each other. So if I'm looking at new revenue growth and that's my, that is my KPI, ARR. So how do I get new logo growth? But I'm acquiring a bunch of companies that aren't going to be happy with us because they're the wrong ICP and they won't stay customers and they won't grow with us because our product isn't really the right fit for them. So therefore our NRR won't grow. I'm now operating to the benefit of my KPI, but to the detriment of you know some other team members' KPIs. And so that's where, yes, it's super important to have a KPI, but to genuinely understand the, the all of the objectives of the broader business to make sure that you're finding good balance in your own numbers, but also positively supporting others. I love that, that's huge. Now, staying in the vein of kind of of data and, and and KPIs and kind of company goals and objectives, but also like you're 
Like you're, you're leading marketing and comms. You also have like other stakeholders and other teams to your right and to your left that have their own KPIs and their own things that they're moving. Now we're all moving kind of towards the same scoreboard, but you as an executive also have to reach across the aisle and build trust and rapport. And, and, you know, all of those things take different shape and perspective. So how are you doing that? And oh, by the way, the company's blowing up too. It's not like this is a like very small trickle, this is growth happening in capital G. So How's that dance for you in building trust and rapport? Because to me, you're doing that right. You've been there almost four years. That says a lot about the way you build trust and rapport with executives and team. But tell us, talk us through your process of leader to leader kind of connection. Yeah, I'm actually really not that good at it. This is probably one of my biggest areas of weakness is reaching across the aisle and working collaboratively with my with my counterparts. I, do, I think it's actually been the biggest struggle that I've had in the C-suite role because as somebody who I would say is fairly effective and promoted often and viewed as the person that can get things done, in the C-suite, it's much more about being the person that can connect other people. And I really, really struggle with that. I have a VP on my team, uh, Janelle, who's, who's exceptional at this. She's really great at thinking, who are all the people that this might impact and influence? And how can I get them enrolled early on? And it, it oftentimes does not come up, um, doesn't come up in my, in my thought process. My counterpart, our chief revenue officer, Rob Rosenthal, is also really great at this, at the relationship side. And so he genuinely calls me, texts me, checks in, just, you know, wants to um, bounce ideas. And then I think like, oh my gosh, I should, I should be way more intentional about connecting with you. I have definitely struggled with this um, and need to continue improving. But it, to your point, it is, a, it is crucial that we're all, we all understand the strategy the same way and we understand how we're all influencing together collectively. Are there like the the, the C level executives, um, the leaders at the the C level and VP level folks? Are what's the culture like amongst the leadership there? Like, how would you describe the culture amongst the leaders? Like, are you are you all getting together regularly? Are you in kind of your own chat group and you're talking about personal, professional? Like, how does that look and feel? Uh, again, because from the outside looking in, a lot of stuff happening at the brand, but from the leader kind of camaraderie connection point, what is that like with the leaders? We actually have a great team. We enjoy being around each other, which is which is really nice. I guess not. You don't always have to have that, but it's really nice to have it. Christy Augustine, our chief operating officer, and I were just at a conference together and had multiple evenings where we stuck off to just have some wine and and chat about kids and life and those kinds of things. So we we have a great relationship. We meet twice a week. Um, it does help that Raj. Uh, hopefully, he doesn't listen to this part, but Raj is fantastic. And, and so he's very intentional about bringing us together. And he, he kind of almost thinks out loud with us. And so I think we all feel like we're part of the strategy and part of building. He intentionally does not play politics. So he doesn't, mm. you know, reach out to one person and give them a special assignment, reach out Got to somebody it. else and give them a an opposing assignment. So I think it's a lot of his leadership that um, from a work perspective brings mm-hmm. us together. And I, I think we just enjoy being, around. of course, I'm everyone's favorite. So <laughs> I have I that it. benefit. How, like, so I, I sense like with you that you are incredibly driven and that you are focused on the prize, whatever that prize is for you right now at this stage of the game. But I'm curious about how like you celebrate wins. Like you're like, when, when, like, when were you, when did you just like, when was that like moment for you as a CMO? Maybe it was this week, maybe it was last month where it was like, the ball rolled around the rim and made it in. Like, what's this? What do you celebrate now in your role and your perspective? Or do you even? Are you still like, we're not celebrating until till the yeah. end or, or whatever? <laughs> but what does that look like for you? 
man, you're just hitting all the things I need to get better at. I thought this was this podcast about the things I'm good at. So no, so this is a, I, I constantly am looking for the thing that's keeping us back from the big prize, which is hitting our ARR targets or from, you know, hopefully being a public company one day or any of those things. So I'm constantly looking for what are those micro improvements that can actually help us toward that? I, I actually was in a conversation with our executive leadership team on Monday. And I said, hey, we actually achieved this really big milestone in conversion rates. And so I'm going to come back with different plan numbers for you. But I'm a little bit concerned about how these plan numbers are shaping up. And so I need a little bit more time. So if we could, you know, get a week, I'd, I'd like to take take that time. And Raj Lear and Slack is like, wait a minute. Did you just gloss over the fact that you got this like huge conversion rate improvement? I feel like we should celebrate that. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yes, I totally, I totally forgot to be like, hey, wait. This great thing happened. So, um, yes, I forget to celebrate and should be much more intentional about that. Well, so, I mean, such a strong team there. I mean, that's also clear, right? I mean, the team is strong and I'm shifting into that. I mean, why is it so important to have such a strong team leading the organization? Like, what's the difference between a strong marketing team and a branding team? Right? Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, my my style is that the marketing team should really be the tip of the spear. Like we we should be getting, not not just getting you into the market, but we should be experts on the market. So we have a fantastic product marketing organization that our practitioners are not traditional product marketers. They were in the job of the personas that we're selling to. And so they understand the market incredibly well. They understand the in and out of the daily life. And then everything that we do, everything that we build is from a value creation perspective. So how are we helping the people that we are selling to become better at their jobs as a result of working with us, learning from the marketing team, buying our products and services, working with our CSM teams post-sale and really becoming better in their companies as a result. And so if the marketing team doesn't step up to that task and say, yes, we're going to be the experts, Yes, we're going to build the strategy. We're going to set the goalposts and the targets. We're going to be in charge of the training and making sure that the you know sales team and SDR teams and all of those guys know what's going on. And we're going to have a strong feedback loop to product. You essentially move to some point after all that has been done. So when you're not setting the strategy and you're waiting for the strategy to be handed to you, then you're packaging it and you're putting some some beautiful imagery and some content and some nice words around it and you're launching it. But that's much more of the brand output than it is owning the market and and driving the company in a specific direction. And so I think for me, that's the difference between marketing or market mm. and branding. Do the sales and SDR, do those functions roll up to you or is there someone else in charge of sales? We have a chief revenue officer, Rob Rosenthal. So okay, he owns so you guys, all the revenue functions. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So you have, that's again, like, I feel like the CMO role is such an interesting one because it's like the CEO to CMO is an interesting one. The CMO to CFO is really cool, but the CFO to C, I mean, the CMO to CRO, the whole marketing and sales age old, you know, thing that we always talk about, but I want to zoom into that for, with your, from your perspective, marketing and sales uh -huh. and aligning, aligning those two, your perspective there, what's worked really well, what's working well now in this crazy fast moving world that we're in aligning marketing and sales together. Yeah. I think that this can be a very difficult relationship. And the reality is in organizations where there is a chief revenue officer and the marketer, marketer does not own revenue, you are a supporting function. And so your job is to make the chief revenue officer look amazing. And that can be really hard sometimes because especially if you're somebody who like, like I am, who's very results oriented, who's very focused on outcomes, 
and there's a big portion of your outcome or when I look at error that I don't actually own, that can create a lot of tension. So I definitely jump in the weeds and I call, you know, our VPs of sales or our GMs and I'm talking to them about their deals and their strategies to win something. And that can, that can at times ruffle feathers. But with Rob, our CRA, he loves it. He's like, I love this. And he can call my team anytime and say, I need you to actually build, you know, presentations for me, or I need this mm-hmm. better detail from you. Or sales enablement isn't great for me right now. And I need your help. And so I think that he and I at least agree that we are really strong partners. And so we, we have full reign to get into each other's sandbox, so to speak. But when, when that is not the case, when there's a like clear line of delineation drawn, that would be really difficult for a CMO or CRO. Yeah. Wow. On our prep call, you talked a little bit about like being a marketing leader, but also like struggling with like being a practitioner too, because you like to get in sometimes and you like yeah. to pull your sleeves up and get dirty. And some of your team was on there. Yep. She does like to do that. So, <laughs> but then I also, after you said that, Amanda, I was thinking about just like, okay, I'm trying to, you know, put myself on your shoes. And I'm like, so much speed, so much changing and happening. You have to lead, you have to lead the strategy, but then you kind of want to know a little bit about what's going on a few, you know, I hate to say levels, but like a few levels down because there's so much change. The tools are changing, the approach is changing. So how do you balance that? Because you also are a marketer, you know that world, you've evolved into a marketing leader at the highest level, but is that tough for you to kind of leave stuff or do you think it's important to dive back in and be a practitioner? What's your your view there? Yeah, this has definitely been tougher for my direct reports than for me. Um, I think that it, it has been a bit of a learning curve on the VP level because they want to own their space and I totally get it. And I had not worked for a CMO who was you know a super strong demand gen practitioner before so i've not i've not worked for someone like myself before and i imagine i would get pretty frustrated if somebody kept jumping into my org and uh you know giving specifics but i'm very communicative with my team so i'm on slack i i'm on text i'm on whatsapp whatsapp and i try to keep them up to date as often as possible but yeah i do jump in and i jump into a google ads campaign or i start doing some keyword uh, looking at what keyword analysis and seeing what's happening there i look at our adwords and don't like some of the broken links i but yeah i dig into hubspot look at our virtual campaigns and so there's stuff that i definitely get into and and people are, are maybe a little bit defensive initially but i think it uh, we we get to the point where it's like okay we're all in this together we're trying to solve mm-hmm. this collectively and just move really fast so you you think that's a strategy or an approach that you like, like that's not something you necessarily want to change. Like you like being able to get in there and, 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 you know, get air quotes dirty with things, right? Like that's not something you really want to change. That's almost like a a bit of a superpower. It seems like. It is. And when I'm interviewing, I tell people this, give them very much a heads up. (laughs) I will get, (laughs) if I have a question, I'm going to much more likely try to get into things and answer it myself than, than go through the levels of, of approval to have access to something. And and I encourage them to do that as well. Uh, but the other thing is I also do regular skip level meetings with all of my team's direct reports because they they need access the other way. So if they're getting mm-hmm. stuck on something, if they and and I've committed to not give assignments or ask questions. That's those are meetings that are for them to make sure that they're aligned and that they're focused on strategy. So I think it's okay. very much both ways that it's it's about unfettered access across the org rather than very hierarchical structure. Similarly connected to this, you've you've talked on the prep call, you talked about how you hate perfect resumes. <laughs> and and I, I just want to get into this because I think it's super interesting. How do you spot 
potential in unconventional ways maybe is a question. And then why does having a perfect resume disqualify someone in your eyes? Yeah, so uh, uh, an imperfect resume looks something like there was a gap or you were doing something, you were on some track, you switched to something else or, you know, you have college, but it's maybe not on for the full <laughs> full time that something would be. You switch industries as well. You're, you're not kind of staying in one industry. And so, so an imperfect resume just doesn't, it doesn't appear to be a linear path. Okay. And the reason why I like that is because you've likely been through some like you've had to experience some ups and downs, some changes. You've experienced a termination or a life change, or you understood what it feels like to um, have to jump in and learn something new. And I feel like those are the people that most often are willing to break the rules and they're willing to be okay with some discomfort and with a little bit of ambiguity versus the perfect resume where it's like, you know, graduated from this college, got an MBA, started in as an associate. I moved up and moved up and moved up and I was at the same company for 10 years. And then I went to, you know, their direct competitor and I was there for eight years and there's nothing, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But um, when I think about the personality types that excel in the organizations that I'm part of, it's these super scrappy, hungry individuals who are okay, rough white feathers. And you know, I tell my team on a regular basis, I haven't had anybody complain about you this quarter. It's making me a little bit worried. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, that. Wow. Um, wow. I want disruptors. And that usually comes with a resume that isn't linear. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I feel like if there's openings at Bloomreach now and you're growing and people hear this episode, they're going to be like, okay, I've got gaps in my resume. Amanda, she's cool with that. I'm going to be curious and go. break things and send my, yes. <laughs> um, is, is Bloomreach hiring, by the way? Is Bloomreach growing? I'm assuming they, I'm assuming they are. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I imagine they are. Okay. So shifting a little bit kind of into your background and your perspective, and I really want to spend some time here because I'm very inspired by your background and a lot of people will begin to, to get the picture here, but you had an unorthodox path, right? And in, into the career you're in, into the world that you're in. And I'm just curious, how have your early struggles helped to shape you into the person that you are today? Yeah, I mean, I, I if you ask my parents, they'll say I was born to break the mold and I never could accept anything for what it was and was a co constantly uh, creating problems. And that led to me in college for six weeks, getting, getting kicked out, asked to leave. <laughs> so I, that was my entire college career. And then I became a mom very young at 18. And, um, that, that for me was the first time where I was like, oh, life is not just about me. I now have this human being that, that I need to support and who, who is now 20 years old. And it awoke this part of me that says, how am I going to provide? How am I going to be an adult? what am I going to do for a living? And I just started be like getting jobs and getting into things. And luckily somebody took a chance on me. Michael Alisea Business Intelligence Group was the company name. And he uh, was doing nonprofit direct mail solicitations. And we'd send something out. There'd be a control package. You'd get it back. There'd be AP test variations. You'd try to figure out which package got a higher lift on donations. And then you also had to be certified in all the states where you were doing the solicitations. And as a you know 19-year-old, mom allowed me to work part-time for him and I got exposed to this amazing world of marketing and just fell in love with what it meant. And then then I saw that the sales people made a lot of money and thought I 
would try that and uh, did that for six months and was real bad at it because part of making money is getting people to sign a contract <laughs> and, <laughs> and I couldn't. So um, back into marketing and just fell in love and, and have been have been in marketing ever since. Can you talk about the connection between, I mean, I, I think, cause we've got four, we've got four kiddos at home. We've got three boys and a girl, all little, little ones. And you've got three boys. So specifically around like just being a mom to boys, have you ever thought about the connection between being a mom to boys and being a CMO? Yeah, I mean, it, it involves a lot of repetition. <laughs> same, <laughs> say the same thing over and over again. <laughs> that's good. So that certainly helps. Uh, I, I, I think that there's this growing up that happens and maybe it would have also just happened. I mean, again, I was, I was yeah. So it could, my, pers- my experience has been there was a growing up that happened with being a mom about prioritization and about um, mm. what matters the most. And I can't handle everything. So I need to let some things go. I can't, I can't expect that my child walks first and I don't have any control over their outcomes or, or, or their outputs. So I need to be okay with what my contribution has been to their life. And, and similarly with marketing as well, I can't always control the outcome of all these other teams. So I need to be okay with my investment in outputs. Mm. What have you learned about just seizing opportunities and not letting moments pass you by in all of that? Yeah, I always, I literally, I texted someone this today. I said, never say no and no until you know, K-N-O-W. Oh, because I love that. You, there's a lot of times you're like, I don't, I don't know. This could go this way, this could go this way. I'm like, just go until, until it does go one way or the other. And then at the point where the door shuts or the door opens, then you just continue moving. And so, um, I, yeah, I just say yes to everything until it's really, really clear that you shouldn't anymore. <laughs> Which maybe that's fine to get kicked out of college. Unless you're a surgeon that just did like surgery on me and you tell me after, you know, or, or before that you didn't go to, you know, med school, I'd be a little nervous. But these <laughs> these days, these days when I meet people who who like left college or dropped out, I'm like, you were the smart one. You did great. Like, that's fantastic. I'm still paying off my student loans and I have a piece of paper that I can't tell you one thing I retained from that experience. Oh, cram for tests, sure, go to parties, sure, like try to pretend to be an adult. None of that really prepared me for the world that I'm in now per se. So I just love like that to me, like the universe served you up an opportunity to to get out early and then really carve an unorthodox path through repetition, priority, asking for help, not giving up. I mean, what key, like just key traits that will certainly be helping you for years to come. Yeah, I do. To add to that, though, really quickly, my yeah. son, who is 20 years old now, he also doesn't want to go to college. He's a art. Mm. He's very artistic. And so he but it's really hard because he doesn't have that paper. And the expectation with the majority of society is that even if it's not that paper, is that you've gone through some level of maturation that says now you're ready to enter the workforce or that people who are three or four years ahead of you or who do have that paper are more likely to be ready for the workforce than you are. And so I do think that while that is my story, that it does create a very difficult path for a lot of people. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I, and th- don't say no till you till you know. I mean, that's a t-shirt, a website, a brand. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's good. Already. I'm, 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 st- I'm going to steal that one for our kids. So <laughs> I'm going I'm to credit you, Amanda. So um, I love it. Okay, so let's get into a little bit around maybe a particular campaign or strategy that you've implemented that you're especially proud of and then what made it stand out 
Yeah, so we went through this transformation last year. Uh, we we sell a lot of things. So you heard me talk about Plurage at the beginning in different segments and different personas and different product categories and trying to merge all those together. And we did it from a very high-level brand perspective. But when it came down to what are people searching for and actually buying, it was still very disconnected. And so uh, what what we did incredibly well this last year was actually we we internally branded them as Hills. And so we said, look, we we, we know we have this super big objective but we're not going to accomplish that objective on day one. So we're going to take these hills one at a time. And so we we said there there's these very specific scope submarkets essentially that we're going to define and we're going to own that submarket and we're going to be really, really great at it. And we're going to be very disciplined in the number of hills that we have that we're trying to win as a company. And it's going to be consistent across all of the go-to-market functions. So from marketing all the way down to customer service and how we actually attract the customers and then support them once they come on board. And that is an incredibly painful thing to do in a company where, you know, you have about 500 people focused on go to market. And so you have endless numbers of ideas. How do you get all of those people to commit to, to focus, to change their priority set and to execute on this very, very (laughs) soaked plan. And it was really difficult. And I'd say we're, we're, coming on the other side of it where everybody gets it and understands it and is actually executing against that strategy. And we're starting to see the benefits of it. So now people are really excited and on board and glad to be part of it. But that transformation was really, really hard. Have you ever been a part of a company that went IPO or acquisition? Have you experienced that before as a marketing leader? Acquisition multiple times. I have never, okay. uh, never done the IPO bit. So I'm very okay. excited that hopefully that's not yeah. future. What is your kind of lens on on how you think of preparing Bloomreach for something like that now or later down the road? Like, what do you think about having gone through acquisitions, certainly being poised for a lot, a lot more growth and cool stuff, but are you starting to think about high level stuff? What pieces are you putting in place? It seems like some brands care about investors or other things, you know, before they would IPO, but like, what's your yeah, thought going into it in preparation, if at all, anything? Yeah, I, I really, really want us to be known as a company that grows other companies. Um, so we we are, if you are a, a an online company and you want to experience growth and you need a tool set that's fun and easy to use, that your team loves and that you know will deliver revenue for you, that's what I want us to be known for. And so where we ITO, I would, I would love for that to be the association that we have before and after the ITO. And I, I genuinely believe very much, I think that when I look at my own life and I look at the opportunities that I was given primarily because of the advancements of technology, I want to see the accessibility of technology, particularly for up and coming brands, particularly for women owned and minority owned businesses to be on a level playing field with the super, Mm -hmm. super big companies that have these huge workforces of technologists that allow them to have these amazing digital experiences. I want to be able to put that in the hands of people with grit who are striving to own something and do something. So yeah, I've, I would love to be known uh, going into a post IPO as a company that helps other companies grow and as a result, provide a tremendous amount of value for the team members that built this company. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm seeing a t-shirt, a future t-shirt, Bloom Reach, here we grow. <laughs> and then like brands and like maybe some a root a root system with like growing a bunch of um oh, that's awesome. I love that. And I it. love the but I also think that that 
the focus on gr- like growing other like the brand that grows other companies i think that's an interesting distinction versus Definitely. you could choose a lot of other targets but it's like that's a big that's a, a hairy audacious like big thing that i know i think of like being a part of a team that's tackling that thing like we're not just going to ipo or just grow a business to you know nine figures arr we're going to be the one that like when you think of bloom rates you're going to think of like the you know the roots and the soil that grew all these other exactly. great brands and exactly. that's that's cool yep couple of just interesting one-offs here just on team and kind of creativity would love to hear from you on how do you foster creativity within the, within the marketing team and encourage them to think outside the box when developing campaigns or strategies we have a pretty challenging team like there nobody is afraid to say hey that's not good enough or we need to push that idea further um, it is really difficult in remote work, though, when you're not in a room with each other, you know, eating special brownies and <laughs> drawing on a whiteboard. Creativity becomes more difficult. And so we're also intentional about in-person meetups and and creating space and time and investing in in those moments for brainstorming. And then we do have pockets of in-person activities. So we have a team in Bratislava, Slovakia. We have a team in London. We have a team in Charlotte. And so there are opportunities for collaboration as well. Uh, but remote work has definitely made that more difficult. And so you've really got to be intentional about saying this is not good enough. And I want mm. you, I want you to go back and push yourselves further. Wow. And then fostering that amongst your leaders and other other people too, like getting them to like to see that as well and be the ones to speak up and offer offer that to each other and fostering that. I, I see that a beautiful like yeah, like a, t- a beautiful tug of like tension, necessary, you know, but working together to all be great, which is fantastic. If you could have a one-on-one conversation with any marketing guru or industry leader, dead or alive, who would it be and what would you discuss? Well, right now it would be Sam Altman. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'd be like, give me, let's, let's talk about this. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let's wrap here. And and this this is, you know, I want you to think about this question is kind of for, for the you know the younger Amanda's out there, right? Um, the younger up and coming you know marketers and marketing leaders who who already know like they want to be at the top of marketing and they already they're going to be a CMO one day. So it's those people we're talking to, and it's also just you kind of going back in time and talking to yourself. So looking back at your career and your life, you've had a lot of valuable lessons and a lot of valuable twists and turns thinking about like the most valuable lesson you've learned that really helped to shape your approach to being a leader, to being a marketer. Um, what would you say to the young Amandas, the young marketers, your young self being where you're at now? I would answer those two things differently. So what I would tell, okay. um, what I would tell young marketers is really, 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 really spend time thinking about what matters to you and building a life that reflects what matters to you. And if ultimately your position and your career and your ability to be promoted and the salary that you earn matters the most to you, then be ruthless and say yes to everything and don't care that you upset people and charge forward and be smart and get involved in things and ask questions and don't be limited in a silo. If that is not your priority, if you decide it's family or it's relationships or it's the city that you live in or it's any of those other things, really, really build those into your consideration as you build your career. Because while I do say you can have everything, 
you just can't have it all at once. Mm. That is something I would tell myself going back is that I wished I had taken more time to really think through my priorities because the negative side is I never went to a mommy and me. I never went on a field trip. I missed a lot of things with my kids. Mm. I've And I have three kids. They're 20, 19, 18 now. And we moved a lot because I was always chasing a job. And I worked a lot of hours and I was stressed a lot. Had I been able to go back and tell myself to be genuine and serious about your priorities and build your career in view of your priorities, I think I would have had a different path. Mm, that's going to speak to a lot of people for sure. Um, this has been exceptional, Amanda. Thank you so much. This has been worth the wait getting you on the show and talking about, especially the the moment in time of where Bluebridge is. Like We're all paying attention. I know the world is going to be watching even more now. But thanks so much. You have such a breadth of experience as a human being, not just a marketing leader. Like There's so much you can speak to because you've gone through so many interesting twists and turns. So thanks for being a part of this container and this show. We are so excited for you, for the whole Bloom Reach squad. Uh, shout out to Raj and the whole team there. But thank you for being here. This has just been awesome. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for having me.